Man, baptism Sundays, man, they never get old for me. This opportunity, yeah, I, I think we should tell it one more time. It, the, what, what we get to witness uh, here is, is people proclaiming their, that their faith in Jesus has brought them from death to life. And as we hear their testimony lived out in this symbolic way, or we hear the stories of the kids in the other auditorium, these rescue stories of our good God who by his grace saves and rescues and gives us life to the full. Um, You hear us say all the time that our mission around here is to help you, help us take our next steps in our journey with God. That our goal is that we would live the kind of lives, this constant pursuit of all that God has for us as he leads us to his purpose and in in his plans for our lives. That, that that is the ultimate message that we see from the beginning of scripture to the end. And what we've been doing these last few weeks is this year-long study of God's redemptive story of rescuing us from death to life so that we can follow after his plans. And just these last few weeks, we started looking at the story of the beginning of the nation of Israel. And in a lot of ways, the, their journey from slavery to freedom gives us a picture of the journey that God wants to bring in our lives as well. Uh, we'll be in Exodus chapter 6 in just a few minutes. If you have your Bibles, we'll get there in just a few minutes. But let me get you caught up to speed on the story of the nation of Israel so far. Uh, God makes this promise to a man named Abraham that his descendants would become a great nation and that this nation would be a blessing to the entire world and he'd lead them into a promised land. And then through God's sovereign hand, he, he takes uh, Abraham's great-grandson Joseph and, and he makes him the, the second in charge of all of Egypt. And through his leadership, he rescues not only the, the nation of, of Egypt but also the surrounding lands from this seven-year famine. And during that time, uh, Joseph's 11 brothers move into Egypt with him. And over time, the descendants of these 12 brothers becomes this nation of Israel. It's this ethnic community that lives in Egypt for over 400 years. And then at some point, uh, another Pharaoh comes into power and he gets intimidated by the, the size of this people group, measuring, numbering in, in the millions of people at this point. So, so to keep them from leading a a coup and throwing him out of power he gets a little intimidated and he decides to enslave them and then he makes this edict that that all baby boys are to be killed to be thrown into the Nile and there's this baby boy Moses whose mom hears about this and rescues him by putting him in a basket and he floats down the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter rescues him and Moses ends up growing up in the palace of Pharaoh Uh, later on in life Moses discovers that he is in fact part of this Hebrew nation and he gets incensed and angry at their mistreatment. And one day, in a fit of anger, he kills one of the Egyptian soldiers. And then he flees um, for 40 years. He lives away from Egypt. He gets married. And at some point, he's now 80 years old, and God speaks to him through a burning bush. And, and he calls Moses back. He says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and I'm going to use you to rescue my people out of Egypt. And Moses immediately goes into excuse mode. He's like, God, you've got the wrong guy. I, I mean, I'm a murderer. I, I'm disqualified from your use. I, I, I can't talk real well. And he has all these excuses of why he isn't qualified, but God doesn't relent. And he says, no, you are the one that I've chosen. Now go back. It's amazing as we read even just these early parts of God's story that, that God has this habit for picking the, the least qualified people with, with, the, with the biggest messes in their lives to do the most amazing things. Well, that's where we were last week. It's now Moses 
has finally mustered up the courage and he goes back to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh and he utters those famous words that we all know and he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, yeah, I don't think so. I, I don't know who your God is and you're not taking my workforce. And so he gets annoyed at this demand that Moses gives him and he, he, tr- he starts treating the Hebrew people with even more harsh restrictions. Well, the people turn on Moses and they blame him for their mistreatment. So Moses goes back to God and says, God, you gotta help me out here. I, I thought that we had a plan here. You said I was gonna rescue them and now they've turned against me. And God makes these series of promises in Exodus chapter six. God says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment and I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. He makes these these four promises and and God fulfills each of these promises in the lives of the Israelites. He takes them from, from bondage and slavery to this new identity as his people. And these promises still have application in our lives as well. God wants to do the same thing for us. That's that's the journey. It captures the journey that God wants to bring into our own lives. And there's this kind of progression, steps, if you will, on this journey with God. He begins and he says, I'm going to bring you out of there. I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to relocate you. It's this promise of, of salvation. God is telling them, I I need to do a work in you, but before I can do that work, I need to save you out of the Egyptians. And that's the first step for us as well. Our first step in our journey with God is salvation. For them, for the Hebrews, it was salvation from the the Egyptians. But for us, God wants to save us from our old way of life. He wants to save us from the weight and the wage of death and sin in our lives. And that salvation happens in an instant as soon as we place our faith in jesus as our savior we are immediately saved but that's just the beginning of our journey with god he wants to do so much more so he goes to them and he says after he has saved them this is what else i'm going to do for you i will free you from being slaves physically that they would be free that they would be saved and relocated out of it but there's still a lot of internal baggage. There's still a lot of old way of thinking and these old identities that they've grabbed a hold of throughout their life. And over time, God needs to save them from that. He needs to to free them from that. And that's the second step. And the second promise that God gives is he wants to give us freedom. Salvation happens in an instant. We are made right with God immediately. But this next step, this next promise is a process. It, It takes time. There's still a lot of junk hanging around on the inside of our hearts after he has saved us. And he needs to free us from some of those old habits and hurts and hang-ups that come into our lives. And over time, he he does a work and he begins to change us from the inside out. It doesn't happen right away, but what what you notice is that over time, these habits, these attitudes don't have as much control over your life as they used to. And you begin to have this increasing freedom to be able to follow after God and his purposes for your life. And you can follow him more closely. But he's still not finished. His third promise is that that I will redeem you, that I will redeem you with with an outstretched arm. And and to redeem means to to buy back or, or to restore. 
what God is promising them is that he's going to use them, that, that he's going to restore them to his original purpose that he gave to Abraham so many years ago, that he's gonna use them to bless the world. And that's the third promise and third step for us as well is that God wants to bring restoration into our lives as we journey with him. He wants to, to free us from our old way of life, from our past, so that, so that we can find our purpose, so, so that we can make a difference in the world around us. You see, God sees things in us that, that we don't see in ourselves, that, that he's created us to be messengers, to be his ambassador of his good news, to, to be the salt and the light in the world around us, to be a blessing. And what he wants to do is to free us so that we can actually accomplish what he's called us to do and who he's called us to become. And then as he works out these promises in their lives, then they will experience this fourth promise where he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. In other words, God's saying, then you will begin to experience life as I designed it to be. This fulfillment is the fourth promise, this fourth step in our lives. That's the sweet spot of life. When, when you're walking in freedom and you're walking in this personal relationship with your Savior and your God, you're, you're hearing his voice and you're responding in faith and, and you're living a life that is marked by purpose and love and peace, peace with God, peace with other people, that's the good life. That, that's the full life that Jesus said that he came to give. That he came to give us life and life to the full. And that's where God wants to lead us. He, he wants to bring salvation into our lives. He wants to, to rescue us from sin. He wants to, to free us from our past so that he can restore us to the purposes that he has created us to live out. And then we can live this fulfillment, this full life that he offers. This is what God promised to the Israelites. But right now, as he's making these promises to them, they're still enslaved in Egypt. So God began to bring these judgments against Pharaoh and against Egypt to, to break his grip on the Israelites. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks him nine different times to let God's people go so that they could worship him. And every time Pharaoh says no, God sends a different plague uh, he sends plagues of frogs and flies and gnats and boils and darkness. But Pharaoh's heart grows harder against God and he refuses. And so Moses goes one last time to warn Pharaoh and say, God's patience has run out. In Exodus 11, he describes the, the, the tenth plague. So Moses says, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. God says that this plague will strike everyone in Egypt. Egyptian, foreign, Hebrew, it will strike everyone. But God said to the people of Israel, I, I don't want you to lose your firstborn. So I, here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to give you a sign of faith as found in Exodus 12. God says, on that same night, I will pass through, uh, pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destruction no, or no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So, so God tells them, here's the sign of faith that I want you to do. I, I want you to kill a lamb, and anyone who has the blood of a lamb on the doorstep 
I will pass over them. And that, that, that's where we get this phrase, Passover, that, that the judgment of God has passed over these families. And that's exactly what happened. All the firstborn in Egypt, with the exception of the Israelites, are killed. And in the middle of the night, Pharaoh finally relents, and he goes to Moses and says, get out. And God will go on to tell them, here's what I want you to do. Uh, as I have rescued you out of Egypt, I want you to remember this day for the rest of your lives. And I want you to make it a part of your yearly calendar, that you're going to yearly celebrate this Passover meal. And they reorient, reorient their entire calendar around this Passover feast. And year after year, the nation of Israel gathered together and they celebrated these meals. And every year they would use these meals to, to retell the redemptive story of God as a reminder of how an innocent lamb had to be killed for their salvation. And as a reminder of who they used to be, what their past was in, in their enslavement, and what they used to do in being slaves. And then as a reminder of the promises of God that we saw in Exodus 6. And every year they would gather around a meal and they would recite this story over and over again. And for the next 1,400 years, the Israelites did this. They gathered every year and they remembered. And along the way, God will send these prophets among them to tell them that this meal that you're taking and this sacrificial system that God has put in place, they're just a shadow that right now we have to kill a lamb every year as, as a temporary sacrifice to, to cover over our sins, but there's one coming that will be the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises, that the Messiah, that the promised one, and they were constantly looking forward to this Messiah. And then one day there's this crazy-looking prophet, John the Baptist, that, that comes on the scene, and he wears strange clothes, and he has this odd diet of honey and locusts. And he boldly calls people to repentance. He calls them out of an old way of life and a rededication to God. And he says, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. And people would gather around the banks of the Jordan River. And they began to wonder, is he the one? And they would ask him, are you the one that the prophets promised all those years ago? Are you the Messiah? And he said to them, I, I'm not even worthy of holding that guy's sandals, but he's coming. My job is, is to clear the way for the Messiah, that this promised one that we've been looking forward to all these centuries. And then one day, John is on the Jordan River doing his thing, and he spots Jesus, and he says, look, behold, pay attention, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this announcement of John it is the hinge on which the Bible, whole Bible swings. The, the Old Testament, with, with all its prophets, with, with all its sacrificial systems, were only pointing to the one to come, to the one that would finally and fully be able to satisfy God's requirements. And John says, he is the Lamb of God. He's not just another lamb, that, like the lambs that we've sacrificed in the past. He's the one that we've been waiting for. And his role, his purpose, is to take away the sins of the world, your sins and mine. Once and for all, he's going to do what God promised. And then three years later, Jesus is a day away from fulfilling his purpose on the cross. 
and he gathers his disciples, his closest friends, those that he's been pouring into over the last three years, and they gather together for their Passover meal. And this is what he says. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He goes to them and he says, this is my body. In other words, what I'm going to do on the cross tomorrow is the fulfillment of what happened at Passover. I, I am the last lamb. Tomorrow I'm going to a cross and I'm going to give my life for you just like that lamb used to do. And so just as, if you, as, as you've eaten the rest of this meal, uh, remembering the freedom from Egypt that happened centuries ago. Now I want you to take this bread and it represents this, this ultimate freedom that I'm going to give you. Freedom from your past. Freedom from your guilt. Freedom from your sin. And he says, my, my spilled blood brings in a new covenant. The, the old covenant was a, a covenant of law which is a problem because we're not very good law keepers and so Jesus says this new covenant it's a covenant of grace Jesus is saying I have come to, to cover over your law breaking and I'm going to take away your sins think about this 1400 years before the cross God set it up in Passover and on that night in that upper room Jesus as he was gathered around with his guys says it's all about me. It, it has been the entire time. And now, it's complete. It, it's finished. Now, maybe you're here and, and you're thinking, can we really connect Jesus' words there in the upper room with Passover? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Pretty clear. So here's what I want us to understand. It is that Jesus is at the heart of God's redemptive story. From the very beginning to the very end, the Bible has one theme, that it's God's redemptive story of rescue through his son, Jesus. And so I want to spend a few minutes looking at how it is that Jesus fulfills the description of the Passover lamb that we see in Exodus. The first that we see is that the lamb was perfect. In Exodus 12, 5, it's described as the animals that you choose must be year-old males without defect. Peter goes on and describes Jesus this way in 1 Peter. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, redeemed from, it, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And the reason why this is so important is that only the clean can take care of the unclean. Only the perfect can cover over the imperfect. And Jesus was pure. He was holy. He was without blemish. He was without sin. And if we start thinking about his perfect life, at least for me, I begin to look at my own life and examine my own life. And as I look at my life, I, I recognize that I'm far from perfect. I, I, I don't even live up to my own standards sometimes, much less that of a holy and perfect God. And then as I look back at my life, there are numerous times when I have lived in direct opposition to his commands. 
And if you start thinking about that, that puts you in a really hopeless spot because I can't undo what I've already done. And I can never attain the, the perfect standard of God to be in a right relationship with him on my own. And so Jesus says, listen, I, I want to give you new hope. I, I want to give you a new hope. It, it's the hope that comes from my forgiveness. Jesus did what I could not do. He, he lived a perfect life before God. He was perfect, and he was pure as our lamb. The, the second description is that the lamb was sacrificed. In Exodus 12, 6, it says, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter the lamb at twilight. Next slide. So uh, God gives this vision of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross hundreds of years before it actually happened to Isaiah. And Isaiah describes the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross like this. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The lesson of, of Passover is is that deliverance is available, but it comes at a price, that the death of an innocent lamb. And so our sin, our rebellion, our our missing the mark that God has put before us, it it demands payment. The one that we love, the one that we serve, the, the lamb that we love and serve didn't just die for our sins. The The description that Um, that Isaiah gives us shows that that he was pierced for our transgressions, not his own, that that he was crushed, that he was punished, that he was wounded. He bore the full penalty of God's God's wrath that, that our sin deserved. He was sacrificed. He was sacrificed as our Passover lamb. And then the third thing is that the lamb was a substitute. In Romans 3, Paul describes uh, Jesus' sacrifice this way. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The, the word atonement, uh, it, it's a, a religious word that, that comes back from the days of the temple sacrifices. In, in Leviticus 16, it, it describes and explains the, the day of atonement. One day a year, a high priest would go and he would select two goats. Uh, one of the goats was to be sacrificed as an offering, representing something, giving their life to cover over the sins of the people. And the other goat, the, the priest would place his hands on it and he would pronounce all of the sins for the past year of the entire nation. And he would symbolically put them on the goat and then they would release this goat out into the wilderness. And it represented this fact that the sins had been forgotten, that their guilt was removed. This goat was called the scapegoat. And this is what Jesus fulfilled. God created this plan of substitution. On the cross, the, the sins of the entire human race, past, present, future, were laid on his head. And Jesus became the greatest murderer the greatest adulterer, the greatest thief, the greatest rebel that there ever was. He became the hypocrite that, that lived a double life, the, the liar, the proud, the selfish. He, he became all of those things. 
and he died for them so that I could be innocent of them, so that you could be innocent of them. Jesus received the, the, the rebellious lives that we have all lived and the wrath of God was poured out on him so that it would never have to be poured out on us. Our sins are forgiven. Our guilt is removed. He, he died for every sin that you have ever committed, that, that you ever will commit. He gave his life for it, to cover it. He covers over it. He is the perfect, sacrificial substitute that our sins required. But just like the Israelites in that first Passover had this sign of faith, they, they had to apply the blood of the lamb or the doorpost. If they wanted to be rescued from death and destruction, the same thing is true for us, that, that this sacrifice must be personally applied. You, you must apply it to your life. It, it's more than just a, a, a generic belief in God. It's a conscious decision of faith that, that I am claiming that Jesus' sacrifice on the sin or on, on the cross was payment for my sin. And, and if you apply his payment to your life, then one day you're going to stand before God in judgment. And he will say this to you, that, that your debts are covered by the blood of the lamb. So, so my judgment will pass over you. You're covered. You're not going to get what you deserve. Instead, you're going to get what you could never earn. Mercy and grace. Because you have applied his payment to your account through faith. And it's the faith that, that, that we recognize and we understand that, that we are now set free. That our faith means that, that we are now a son or a daughter of God, that, that we have a new direction to walk in, and then we can experience the promises of God. That the promise of salvation, yes, that, that our sins are forgiven. We recognize that, but he offers so much more. He says, I also want to, I want to free you from the power and the penalty of sin in your lives, free you to actually live a changed life life that you don't have to remain enslaved to sin any longer and I want to restore to you I want to give you a new direction I want to give you a new purpose to accomplish my plan in your life to be a blessing to those around you to make an eternal difference in the lives of the people around you so you can experience fulfillment life the way that I designed it life to the full where we recognize and we follow after his steps as he is our leader and the Lord of our lives God offers all of that to us through Jesus from the very beginning God was laying out this story this plan of redemption through Jesus this final Passover lamb but it comes down to a decision what, what do you do with the lamb what do you do with Jesus have you personally applied what he did on your behalf if you've never done that if you've never personally applied by faith what Jesus did I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that this morning in prayer you can do it right where you are you can apply his sacrifice and accept his forgiveness and his freedom where you are right now let's all close our eyes and bow in prayer if you want to receive 
all that God offers from salvation to fulfillment. You can pray these words. You just say, Jesus, I admit that I need a Savior. I admit that I have lived my life on my own terms. And I believe, I believe that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away my sin. And I believe that when you died on the cross, that it counted for me. And so today I, I accept your freedom and I accept your forgiveness. And in return, I give you my life. I will follow you with all that I have and Father, for the rest of us. Thank you that there is a Passover available to each of us. God, we want to walk in this day and every day mindful of the price that was paid, that our salvation is free, but it came at a price, that, that you sacrificed your own so that we can be adopted into your family. May we walk in freedom as we follow after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'd love to talk to you after the service. We'd love to come alongside of you, help you take those next steps in your journey with God. Thanks for coming out, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.